Hello there, we are your hosts Vivek and Pavitra from the Agile Coach Podcast. In this podcast, we bring fresh perspectives to you through our interviews with thought leaders in Agile Coaching, facilitation, business analysis, and product management roles. Enjoy! Hello everybody! Today we have a very special guest, Nikhil Nambiar. I've actually known Nikhil for almost a decade now. Uh, amazing guy. Uh, we've been actually collaborating and Nikhil is a lead instructor for technical terms um, as part of the Agile Coach. So I have a pleasure of working with you for the last year, year and a half. Nikhil, um, just for folks to understand Nikhil's background, uh, Nikhil has been in tech for close to a decade now. Um, he started out as a developer, then got promoted to a lead developer and in, into management, managing and leading developers. And um, that was with Worldwide Technology. And right now he is a senior consultant uh, into a, a very successful consulting company called Solemn Consulting. And he's doing all kinds of things there, um, helping, working with all kinds of different clients. So we are very, very excited for you know, the listeners to understand the perspective of a developer. Uh, we've done multiple different podcasts where we have brought in director of product management, product manager, scrum master, agile coaches. But this is a very special one because you will get to hear about what a developer actually thinks about agile agility practices, about how to build better products. So I'm really excited uh, about this conversation, Nikhil. And thank you so much for coming in the podcast. So my first question, Nikhil, is so recently you've it's been almost about a year. So you are solemn consulting and you're you're telling me you're doing all this amazing stuff. So kind of walk us through. Uh, tell us a little bit more about you and your work at uh, Slalom as a senior consultant right now. Absolutely. First of all, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, thank you for inviting me and uh, walking me through uh, a decade. Uh, it makes me feel old, but 100%. It's been a decade since we've known each other. That's a, that's great to hear that. And also, yeah, uh, we've been connected for so long. It's uh, it's amazing that we're still, still connecting. So same, same graduating year, 2011, right? Exactly. Yep. Yes. So lovely, man. Uh, obviously excited for you, for all the different things you're doing, always going. Uh, so I I seek a lot of inspiration from your energy all, all the time. So always lovely to connect with you. A uh, little bit about my journey. Uh, I am right now working with Slalom, uh, doing senior consultant work with them. It entails a lot of different things. Uh, I, I went into consulting wanting to learn a little bit more about what it's going to be like to you know, go to different enterprises. I, I, I was working in industry in a very specific role. I tried to tap into a lot of different teams at that time and I wanted to do something new. And because consulting was perfect because I could go to all these different companies and check out what they're doing and understand what the best practices are like and especially what not to do. Mm. Uh, uh, that is one big learning uh, in my time at Slalom. Yeah. But yeah, I, I am currently working as a senior consultant, uh, a lot of different responsibilities, including development, including managing teams, managing, uh, building up new 
consulting practices. So it's been fun. Yeah. And uh, Nikhil, like you're really passionate about coding and you, you're the one who taught me, like gave me, taught me about clean code, what it is. So, uh, so do you, do you code right now? Do you, are you hands-on coding yes. as well? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I am hands-on coding. Um, I spend about, I would say 30, 30 to 40% of my time developing or looking at other people's code. So yeah, I, I want to stay hands-on as much as possible. There is going to be a transition point. And I would say in some point in my career to maybe that 30% might go down to just me coding in off time. Uh, much to my wife might not like it, but yeah, uh, just because I feel it's coming to that natural transition point for me because I've spent close to now a decade you know, doing development, I, I want to move on to maybe yeah. other responsibilities in my career. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to learn in this episode with you, Nikhil, is, you know, we've had so many point of views from agile coaches, product managers, leaders, like we brought in the podcast about, you know, what they think about agile, scrum masters, right, product owners. This is the episode where I'm so excited to ask you, but what does, what does Agile mean to you? Like, what does that look like when you're working as a developer, part of a team? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I will, I'll be really honest and provide um, a very, so when I speak, I'm not speaking just for myself. I'll speak for the general community yes. uh, of developers. Oh. Okay. And I know it's a unique perspective in this space. Yeah. And I want people to actually take away valuable insights around you know my decade worth of experience in this space and how in the tech community you have these multiple groups that form. Mm. You know, you have a non-technical group and a technical group, right? Yeah. And I yeah. want to provide a perspective which is on the technical side as to what what do we think about people yeah. who are non-technical, especially people who uh, come from an agile background. Yes. So first off, I think there's a large perception of how like developers view agile people is most likely because we have had poor scrum masters and poor product owners. Sure. So the lack of quality of resources or, or people in those roles brings about certain impressions because we mm. are as human beings being pattern recognition kind of uh, machines, you know, yes, we, sure. we have all these poor scrum masters and poor product owners that we experience. Sure. That's what we think they are. <laughs> right. And, and that's what we think that industry is. Mm. Uh, the general perception is that most scrum masters um, read an agile book. Mm. Okay. Some or read a couple articles on the internet mm. and then, stand on a high pedestal and mm. tell developers to, you know, do stuff based on what's in a textbook. Mm. And developers view that in a way where like, hey, I understand that's in your textbook, but this is real life. Mm. And we need to, we need to do things in the real life that might not align with the textbook somewhere. Sure. So that is the kind of battles I've seen where- yeah. Uh, for example, a, a scrum master will say, hey, this is an eight-point story. 
you need to break this up. And the developer goes, there's nothing more I can do. This sure. is how far sure. I can break this. But that's, a, that's a perspective. First of all, I am, I am sorry. I'm representing the Scrum Master team. And I'm sorry if you had some folks who are like earlier in your journey where they maybe, uh, you know, did something to make you feel this way. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously for the listeners, obviously there are a lot of very skilled as well coaches and scrum master and product owners, uh, Nikhil. So in your experience, maybe you've had some experiences where you've not seen eye to eye with the scrum master and totally, this is, this is very good conversation. So we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that. Um, so we'll come back to maybe some of the anti-patterns from scrum master or product owners, that you faced, you know, and in our, just to be fair, Nikhil, in, in, in our other podcast, we also talk about, you know, what, what's scrum masters and developers perspective in anti-patterns from the team. So it's fair, fair deal. Um, let's go back to what is, what is, what does agile actually mean to you as a developer, Nikhil? Yeah. So for, for me, very specifically, Agile represents the concept of being iterative. So when I'm when we are developing things, a lot of times it is easy to get caught up in the details and to go into different rabbit holes because mm-hmm. technology being a knowledge-based profession, mm-hmm. uh, especially software engineering, yeah, you can quickly start spiraling out into trying to make things perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I really like the agile concept of not being perfect Mm. and trying to deliver value Mm. quickly Mm -hmm. versus waiting on this perfect design, utopian design that you deliver six to eight months later when the need for that product has gone away. Mm. Yeah, no, that's great. So you're instead of big upfront, a lot of requirement gathering, like you're saying, like adding value to customers, building something really fast and like getting feedback and, uh, and then iterating, iteratively building product. Right. Um, what does, you know, if you've had like a, in an actual experience of an agile team where there's high psychological safety, people are communicating, what does it look like from like, um, you know, a team interaction perspective, um, like in the team scrum teams or Kanban teams that you've seen? Oh, like I've seen very, like I've seen a lot of different kind of atmospheres. Yeah. There is a, a one kind of atmosphere where people are cagey. People mm. don't want to make mistakes. They're afraid mm. to, afraid to fail. Executives mm. are joining calls for little mistakes developers are making. Mm. And wow. You know, people are not wanting to release because they fear making mistakes. So what happens is they keep pushing the release and keep pushing it further and further. And without realizing they're making their releases more and more risky. Yeah. Uh, And it's kind of the opposite, but you know, that is a perfect example of how not to function an agile framework. So Nikhil, you're, you're talking about psychological safety. You're talking about as a developer, right? Like if you know you're, if you make mistakes in production, right? Or if somehow it goes there and if you make a mistake, there's a high penalty. So you're saying this is your lived experience. Like you've yes. had to hold back. You've kind of been extra, extra cautious, move the release date or your team 
just to make sure you're not um, not punished, but like you're not you're not having to bear that consequence. Wow, that's that's an amazing insight. Absolutely, and it has a reverse effect, right? Yeah. So the business thinks, "Hey, I'm going to push this release off because my level of confidence with the current set of developers is mm-hmm. not that high." Yeah, and by pushing it off, what mm-hmm. you're doing is you are actually increasing the amount of risk for that release. Yeah. So even though the business thinks that they're increasing their level of confidence, mm. the risk is actually going higher and higher the mm. more you push off a release date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think in that um, in that scenario, um, do you think the business has an idea of like, wow, this is I, you know, we're putting putting these deadlines or we're putting this pressure to like. Um, to have non-buggy software. And because we are doing in a way, I mean, having a quality software is a foundation to agile, right? We're not talking about not having good code or clean code, but as you're iterating, as you're trying to build something fast, and if if the team is new, you know, things, some, some bugs can happen, right? So does your, does the business understand the impact of like this kind of behavior um, when, you know, when they're putting extra pressure in terms of, um, you know, for developers, do they, do they understand the impact? Well, yes and no. So sometimes the business is in a tough situation, right? So you, you have publicly facing publicly owned companies who are really put in the spot where their website goes down People are talking about it on Twitter. Their stock mm-hmm. price drops. Yeah. So, so you know, it has a real, real monetary impact mm-hmm. on when websites go down mm-hmm. or some issues happen. Now, right. at the same time, I don't think they understand mm-hmm. the, the fact that if you push off a release, it is actually increasing the risk because yeah. developers are not just twiddling their thumbs in mm-hmm. that time from hey, you pushed out the release from, you know, date X to Y, mm. they're pushing more and more changes. Yeah. The more and more changes you stack, you know, mm. you're increasing the amount of risk. And I feel like the business does not fully understand that. Mm. And it increases. So it's like a spiral, spiral down effect that happens. Mm-hmm. The, more the, business, more the business feels cagey, the more the risks stack up, the mm-hmm. more the risks stack up, the more level of confidence of the business is going to keep falling down. Yeah. And now the chances of issues happening keep increasing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the same point, Nikhil, like when when business is asking for um uh, delivery, faster delivery and high quality, right? Um, you've probably been in the team where, you know, for some reason that time the quality is not good or, you know, there are some bugs that we didn't catch. We didn't understand the requirement properly from, from an agile perspective, from, from caring also about business, right? Like what's been your approach and what have you, um, how have you approached that as a developer, you know, with your teammates? So it is, it is difficult. And I have a controversial opinion on this. Yeah. yeah. That uh, my opinion is that, if you truly want to move quickly, mm. you are going to have issues in your application. Sure. And that is something that you need to accept 
as normal. Yeah. When you don't do that, when you mm. don't accept bugs as normal or mm. issues as normal, mm. what happens is it like what you talked about. It goes into that scenario that yeah. we just talked about, where the psychological yeah. safety doesn't exist and it keeps going downhill. Yeah. Now, not saying that even though. Yeah. The fact is that there are going to be issues that does not mean that as developers, we shouldn't be improving the quality of our application. Yeah. Our overarching goal still needs to be that we need to deliver high quality solutions in a timely manner, right? Mm -hmm. That that goal doesn't go away. Yeah. And in order to address that, there are several, several uh, techniques you can use. Yeah, uh, w- a lot of them being automated testing. You want yeah. to, as much as possible, reduce the reliance on manual testing because yeah. mm-hmm. you know humans like you and me, we make mistakes all the yeah. time. We, mm-hmm. we need to get paid. We need yeah. to leave at five p.m. every day, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, versus having a robot to, doing testing. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that robots are going to be able to do mm-hmm. high, highly subjective, like nuanced kind of testing. Mm-hmm. But if there is basic level testing that mm-hmm. uh, that's simple, logical, yeah, yeah. Uh, that can be executed using software, yeah. why not take use of that? Yeah. Um, so you know, we like in the last, I would say, four to five years, there's been more and more focus mm. on using automated testing mm-hmm. to improve quality. Not saying yeah. that manual testing goes away completely. Yeah, you have a nice collaboration between the two. Got you. Got you. Got you. Um. So you're saying that if you want to, if you're really experimenting and if you're really trying to build a product that's competitive in the market, um, you know, bugs or mistakes will happen if you're iterating. However, you can, you can do things like, you know, automation, writing unit, unit test cases, uh, doing unit testing, um, and then also making quality a focus as your team. Absolutely. And having conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and talking about what the dev team is there to do. I yeah. think it's important as, yeah. um, as representatives, representatives of the business and their team, their tech team, mm. for them to come together and mm. have like really existential conversations. Yeah. Well, well, why are they here? Like yeah. asking questions like that, because a lot of times what happens is people just come show up at work, assume that they have to do something business yeah. businesses. Like we just assume that oh, business is here to tell us what to do. And mm. I'm a developer. I'm just going to tell you mm. uh, just here to move stories from, you know, yeah. to do to complete. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's very easy to get caught up in that versus having team agreements, having yeah. conversations about what yeah. are we here to do? Yeah. And asking those questions. And then once that is cleared, like, oh, this team really cares about me yeah. writing automated tests. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So the developers then understand that and catch up to that. No, that's 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 amazing point, Nikhil. So you're saying that you know, like it's not like the you know, like in the waterfall days where you're just coding and you're handing off your code and you're kind of okay, I'm done. Like you're, you're talking about like, okay, what is as an agile team, like we are a crucial member, we're knowledge workers. Mm-hmm. You want to be responsible for the quality of the product. And thus we want to have conversations and we want to understand the requirements so that we can get better at creating right. 
less um, low, low bug product, right? So that that so also from the developer side, you're saying that that conversation needs to happen, and um, there, there needs to be space for that convers- conversation to happen. I'm curious about this when it when it comes to bug, we're we're, we're talking about testing, right? So. Um, have you been in teams where you have a separate tester and um, what does it look like when everybody in the team members is testing? I've been in a lot of different kinds of models. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the models that I'm currently working in is Mm -hmm. where our QA team is independent. Mm. They actually roll up under product. Okay. So under, uh, for people listening, when I say product, I, I mean, the, the team that determines the, the work. You know, they're mm-hmm. the ones who are leading the quality assurance team. And gotcha. the dev team is kind of removed from them. You know, mm-hmm. Previously, what would happen is the, the dev manager, they just want to, they're under pressure. Executives mm-hmm. are calling them. Okay, yeah. hey, is this, is this feature done or whatever? And, and they're yeah. like, you know, nudge and wink to the QA people. Mm. They're like, yeah, can you get this tested like by tonight? And it's, it'll be a suite of testing that, you know, the QA team under pressure will start marking, marking all the cards tested without doing proper testing. Mm. And, you know, that will end up making way to production causing problems. So the product team came in and said, guess what? Dev manager, you don't get to dictate anything to the QA team anymore. Mm. They get rolled up under the product team. Mm-hmm. And now the QA team is independent and not mm. influenced by the dev manager and mm. is able to you know, find more bugs or, or ha- again, that feeling of safety of like, I can create bugs without feeling like I'm going to be, there's mm. going to be some kind of retribution against me. Right. So you're saying that that was a positive thing of having a separate QA team. I I have, in my experience, if there is a dedicated team for quality assurance that is mm. independent yeah. of the team that is also focused on delivering automated testing, mm. I feel like it is helpful. That doesn't mean that the dev team can sit back and just throw things over the wall. There yeah. needs to be very clear boundaries and talks about what are the levels of responsibility for sure. both those teams that yeah. need to happen? Because that can happen, right, Nikhil? Like if you've been in the teams where, you know, we, yes. treat, we treat QAs like, hey, like you, we did it, like now it's your job to test it. Yeah, I'm done. The proactive communication is not there. <laughs> exactly. No, so, you know, every stand-up, the Scrum Master says, hey, what's your update? And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm done. I just I just uh, put, merged my uh, pull requests. That's it. That's yeah. my story. Right. Instead of actually thinking about how is my story going to be tested, collaborating with the QA team, making sure that they have all their test data and all these kind of things and not making a thing like, oh, I just threw it over the wall. I'm going to move on to the next story. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's where I've been on teams like that, where yeah. that's the culture and, yeah. you know, they have not been very successful. Yeah. And the communication, right. Um, Still bringing this back to agility and agile. So the communication with the developer and tester, like when when you pick up a story, like when have you seen the communication start? Um, because sometimes we see that QAs get 
the story to be tested at the end of the sprint and there's no oh, communication yeah. there's a lot of miscommunication so give mm-hmm. us maybe one or two scenario or one scenario around like that kind of issue man it, it happens so frequently so yeah. frequently and, and and there's so many factors right one that uh, already talked about you don't have any automated testing setup mm-hmm. let's assume that like mm-hmm. the worst scenario which i have been part of fairly recently yeah no zero automated testing no unit test no integration testing nothing of that sort mm-hmm. the developer finishes writing their code mm-hmm. and it took them obviously a significant amount of time let's say three or four dev days mm-hmm. they wrap up their story and right before the release the qa is actually picking up and writing test plans yeah the developer wasn't aware of what test plans the QA teams coming up with right until they merged their story. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, there's sophisticated testing plans being created. Again, there's lead time. They're not testing, even though the story got merged. Yeah. They're spending time doing testing plans. They've yeah. not talked to each other. Yeah. And guess what? They found a bunch of bugs mm-hmm. right before the release is happening. Yeah. So I've been in really bad situations like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been in a situation where, you know, simply by including um, QA tester, when we had a separate QA tester, including them into the refinement, backlog refinement and sprint planning. And, you know, when, when the story is picked up by somebody, you know, having them part of that, working with the developer on that, understanding the acceptance criteria. So that just like simple level of like communication that actually helped, helped us a lot when, when I was part of um, a dev team. So um, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for that perspective. And around that, you know, quality being the foundation, quality product being the foundation um, of, of, agile and getting getting to that quality right so because sometimes you're you're not releasing your software to public in in the first maybe one or two sprints like some teams might take a few sprints to just kind of get things ready fully tested in different environments right so what are other things that you've seen development teams and really teams can do to ensure better quality Oh, there's several automated testing um, kind of techniques that you can follow. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of the things that you also need to do is having a clear idea of what, what your product actually does. Yeah. I feel like a lot of developers don't understand mm. or sometimes even try to understand. Yeah. So with that, what happens is now you have developers who don't fully understand the business functionality. Mm. You have a uh, you know a set of business analysts or functional people who have all this knowledge who don't maybe communicate with the QA team. Mm. And you have the QA team yeah. who's just building things off of test plans and yeah. previous kind of experience that other people might have had. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of kind of gaps that need to be filled. So some of the things that I've seen, you know, extremely successful strategies with are when the developer team completely understands the business functionality. Mm. And once they understand that business functionality, 
A, they're able to write automated tests for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And when you have like a robust automated testing framework mm-hmm. that is maintainable, something that you can look back on. Uh, when you look at those automated testing frameworks, you can safely tell, hey, the changes that I have made have not impacted previous features, things yeah. that have been tested in the past. Because when you think about it logically, if I make a change to a, a massive application, mm. you're not going to go back and test, manually test every single feature of that application. No. Even though they might be related, they're not going to be doing that mm-hmm. because it just doesn't make sense because of the amount of time that somebody has to invest, mm-hmm. even with offshore people. Even if you have offshore resources where a lot of big enterprises try to push off regression testing to offshore uh, resources, yeah, I don't think it is feasible for somebody to manually test that mm-hmm. many uh, features. Yeah, so I've seen success with companies investing their time and money in mm-hmm. building out robust automated testing frameworks, mm-hmm. along with having a QA team responsible for doing some amount of manual testing, not Mm -hmm. saying that 100% automated testing has, I've seen success with, yeah, but at least having those 80% of tests written for doing regression testing, as well as making sure you are in full knowledge of, hey, are my features working as expected or not? Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Nikhil, thank you for articulating that. And in one of the things I'll, I want to throw out a gentle reminder uh, to the community that's listening here, who is mostly from the non-coder side is, um, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of asking a developer, right? So like mm-hmm. a lot of the times somebody in the team knows how to improve the quality, how to solve some of the ongoing challenges. Um, so that's, you know, it was just a matter of like, you know, you've got great ideas. Obviously, when somebody's working in the team, developers have idea, right? So oh, uh, just, the, just the act of like actually open, being open-minded and building relationship and gaining the trust so that, you know, developers can share these things with you. Um, and one thing that I want to kind of give it to the listeners is like, yes, there are other Nikhil's or uh, other developers who understand it. And that's also from a Scrum Master or product owner's perspective, uh, an amazing way to like improve quality is by asking and listening and trying. Um, so that's one, that's one thing that came to me. No, that is, uh, that is something that I have struggled with uh, in my experience is when I've seen product owners who are so focused on the business, they will, they're, they're acting as a funnel really mm. all they're doing is taking work from the business and funneling that work back to the team versus having real conversations yeah with the developers and the business yeah make uh, make it a collaboration and mm. asking very specific questions about hey how can we improve this application yeah and rolling that into sprints and roadmaps so that it's not ignored and you're not not just building out business functionality and not focusing on how yeah. you can improve the architecture yeah. of the application. Yeah, Nikhil, I mean, the reason why I said, you know, building the trust first is, you know, a lot of the times we also see, you know, they're questioning you versus asking questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. 
because you know there are there's in teams things are happening everybody's busy everybody's a little bit you know stressed right um and uh, one thing i found out even with the, with the team that i work with right now is i'm reminding myself to be curious and really ask like the true perspective of what can be done um and instead of you know questioning because you know i'm i'm the i'm the lead product manager lead person in the team i mm-hmm. i could i could question the developers right um yeah and it, so, i i feel like the, there is some amount of questioning that needs to happen as well because from yeah. a developer standpoint yes it is easy because i, I can tell you yeah we like to envision things like a perfect utopian design that okay. is what we're after right yeah so there are times where you know we will be pitching ideas to product owners and product managers yeah and if you sway to the other end too much where now you're listening to the developers yeah. and, and not taking functionality sure. i feel like there are times where some of the architectural things that some developers bring up might not be as necessary. Yes, great point, Nikhil. Great point because you know, like a simple scenario for the listeners, if you're new to product development, right? I mean, product owners' responsibilities to maximize the work that the development team does. Um, however, when you're building new products, you just need to get something and something out there and ready to learn instead of having the perfect architecture because we don't even know if the idea works, right? Um, I've definitely been in small product development. Small building some products where, you know, you know, I've been a product person and we don't need a perfect architecture. We don't need perfectly clean code. We just need something to put it out there so we can learn something on our own how to how to build this product and how to mature this product, right? How to meet the product market fit. But sometimes that requires a lot of experimentation. And and that's what you're saying is like you appreciate the perspective of like, hey, if we don't our goal is to get this right it doesn't matter we need we don't need to like have everything perfect in the beginning exactly and and you articulated really well a lot of product owners don't do that so what happens is when you don't have a clear direction from a product owner or a product manager Mm. like hey at this moment the most important thing is for us to get this product out out, out of the door Mm. When, when a product manager clearly articulates that, then it becomes clear on the dev team what the goal of our entire team is. When that is left up in the air, and like I st- said at the beginning, mm-hmm. having existential conversations about mm-hmm. what what is the role of the team, what are we here to achieve, mm-hmm. without those conversations, sometimes yeah. you get into these kind of yeah nebulous things where you know dev team wants perfection. And product team is just looking at how yeah. they can quickly deliver something. Yeah. So, so Nikhil, we're we're kind of agreeing to the same thing. So we're we're saying that um, as a product owner or even a scrum master or a delivery manager, it is so. Even as a developer, you're um, you're suggesting that you dig in a little bit more. So don't don't buy things as face value. You try to understand the why. How how are they thinking? Right. How is this? How is the developer thinking about how they're going to build this, right? Because when they, when the product owner asks why, they might under, they might realize, oh wow, the developer is talking about this whole architecture, and that's not what we need. Exactly, and also about 
using the same metrics for prioritizing things like you would use mm. for prioritizing something else. Yeah. So when a developer comes to you as a product owner and says, hey, I want to improve the architecture of the application. Mm. You know, if you if you were just willing to say yes to, you know, you know, the, the developer, you would just say yes. And then now you have taken on maybe your 12 month effort without yeah. knowing what you're signing up for. Yeah. And asking specifically how is what you're proposing, how is it going to help the application? What are the numbers? What are the metrics? Yeah. What are we yeah. talking about? What is the cost of keeping the current architecture at the moment? Asking those important questions be- become really yeah. important. Yeah. So you're saying courage and tact, being able to say no to developer if you know if it doesn't serve the overall team or the product. So that's the skill crucial skill set that we say is product owner skill set is to be able to say no when it's necessary and uh, not be a yes yes person because for the overall good of the product. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you this again, developer's perspective, right? Yeah. We try to exploit some of the some of the um gaps of knowledge that product owners or uh, non-technical people in general have. Mm. Right. So when there is a, a gap in knowledge and you have an agenda, let's say the developer really wants to work on a cool framework. Mm. Okay. This happens a lot. Yes. And this is something that I want your audience to understand. Yeah. Developers are knowledge workers. They yes. are motivated by how we do things. They some the most of the time they don't really care about how the that framework is being used in the business. Mm-hmm. What they care about is they're getting to work on cool things. Yeah. They're building things. Yeah. So a lot of times what will happen is developers will come and pitch cool new technologies yeah. to product owners. Right. Yeah. Just because they want to learn it or they want to build that skill. Yeah. And if you're not careful yes. as a product owner, yes. how you're signing up for work that might not have been necessary. Yeah. It's like, and then an example of this might be in a like, like being like trying to learn go language uh, or trying to rewrite an application in go or like doing like a migration to GCP, Google cloud platform, just because the latency is a little bit better. Right. So let latency might be better, but like the overall impact, like that work might take almost a sprint, sprint and a half. So you're talking about those kind of like, trade-offs mm-hmm. and decision, right? So it might be important for you to like want to learn Google Cloud, but that's not needed for the business. Like the business needs to deliver product out in the market ASAP. So exactly. And then like considering opportunity costs as well, right? Yeah. So if you're if you're going to be rewriting your application in Golang from yeah. whatever framework, now that could have been time and money that you could have spent. Mm. on creating a whole new feature that could have brought business to your company. Yeah. Or, or would the other example be be like, let's say we're building a new application. Uh, are we using MySQL or, or MongoDB? And, you know, you are one developer who under who knows or who kind of knows some MongoDB and really works, wants to work on like uh, a non-relationship, a non-relational database, but all the other team members don't have experience. So, you might be excited. You might propose that. Is is that is does that example work too? Yeah, yeah. That happens so many times that now yeah. the tech team has gotten sign off for rewriting 
a particular application and a framework mm. and the rest of the team has does not have that skill set mm. yeah. so now now a piece of work got prioritized and now they worked it and guess what that person left the next day yes. and now you're stuck with a, a, a technology where none of your team can work on yeah that no actually that has happened to be one of the products that we we're trying to build i mean this exact scenario one developer was very passionate about MongoDB, but four other developers didn't have the experience, right? So even though this person is very enthusiastic and it was like, you know, he had a case on why we should use MongoDB, um, but it didn't make sense because we didn't have team members who knew that. And, uh, you know, we wanted to really get the product out there. So um, I've, do- I've seen a product ma- owner skillfully uh, have this conversation with this developer. So thanks for... Thanks for bringing that up. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about like working with the product owner. Like what do you, how would you like to be supported by them or what, you know, in your experience, like what are some attributes of a great product owner? That's a really great question. I haven't seen a lot of them, but I, I, but I have seen some that have yes. completely um that that have kind of are examples that in the industry yeah uh, where you know people product owners should follow so one thing a great product owner does in my mind that they're a great communicator yes clear and great communicator mm-hmm. when i say great communicator they know when to communicate what mm. nice so for example if we are you know embarking on a completely new product feature if you are as a product owner not clearly explaining the vision of the product at the right time what happens is as developers we continue plugging along without having a good idea of where and what meaning the specific work is going to specific work has really. So like I said earlier, if this ties in with a quality of a, a good and great developer, right? A great developer not only cares about clean code, code that they're writing, but they also care about business functionality. They also care about how this specific feature is going to impact the business. And if the product owner is not making that clear mm-hmm. about what specific business impacts and what specific business vision there is, then you have a constant disconnect. And, and now the developer goes into those kind of conversation. Let me let me change the whole framework, okay? Because they don't have the context of oh, we need to deliver this specific feature because our company needs to increase sales for promotions. Without that context, they're going to start thinking of cool ideas. I want to make this architecture perfect, like all these other things. Yeah. So a solid product owner clearly communicates those kind of things. Yeah. Second thing that you already mentioned, the the courage to say no. Mm. When you don't have that as a product owner, it is 
incredibly uh, difficult to have a successful product. Yes. I mean, period. It's very simple because I've seen product owners that say yes to everything. And now you are caught in a situation where everything's a priority. Uh, you're working on five different parallel things at the same time. Mm. And you have four developers. I have literally been on a team where there are four developers and there are five priorities mm. for a sprint. Yeah. So, I mean, those are like high level kind of, um, you know, yeah. qualities in. Yeah. Yeah. And then in that scenario, Nikhil, mm-hmm. I've, I've been there too. Like when you have that many projects, that many priorities, you know, nothing is a priority and you're starting so many things and everything is undone. <laughs> nothing is done. Right. And, exactly. and people are nervous. And it's, so you're saying it's the product owner's um, responsibility to go fight with the management leadership team and to say, hey, the team has too many priorities. There's too much context switching happening. We are better off just by just for finishing one or two, finishing one project and then one or two projects versus, you know, four or five. Exactly. Right. So what, what it's saying is this, this product owner really wants to make the business think that the dev team is doing a lot of work. Or they're trying to people please by, oh, this specific director on this side of the fence, on the business side, will feel impressed if we take on this work. But that is very short-term kind of thinking because really, uh, are they going to be happy that you took it on but are not able to finish the job? It's like going um, going to a restaurant and you ordering something and you're just sitting there for hours. Well, is, is that a better experience than the, the restaurant just saying up front, hey, yeah. we, we are not serving that today. We're only serving one dish and that dish to show up like right away. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, Nikhil, it's been a blast. We are uh, definitely going to have part two of this conversation um, and kind of going into some more Scrum Master related stuff. But we've, I've had a blast in this uh, doing this episode with you. And I'm looking for our next episode. Thank you so much, Nikhil. All right. That's a wrap with this episode. Thank you for listening till the end. We hope these podcasts are providing value on your Agile journey. If you haven't visited our website, theagilecoach.com, we highly suggest you for other courses and supporting material on your journey. You can also get access to our self-paced courses or learn more about the live training that we provide to become a Scrum Master, Product Owner, Product Manager. With that, we will see you on the next episode. Love and best wishes from the Agile Coach.